Good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. It's great to see you on this beautiful Sunday. And what a good day it is to worship the King. Let's all stand and sing. Stand 
with joy before the throne. Till it's I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to Him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ.
with trumpet sound Oh, may I then in him be found Dressed in his righteousness alone Faultless stand before the throne Faultless stand before the God, it is our joy to gather and worship you, the only wise God, our cornerstone, our sure foundation, and anchor. As we look back on the years of your provision and protection, our gratitude swells. And as we look forward, and celebrate the beginning of a new year at La Jolla Community Church. We are excited and inspired by new opportunities to respond to your great love in obedience to you, to grow up together in faith through group experiences that will equip us fully to join you, Father God, in ways that you have prepared for us to serve in this surrounding community. This will be our worship, our offering, as we press forward in your holy name to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ and help build your kingdom to come right here where you planted us in the Golden Triangle. Father, fill us with the Holy Spirit that we may in unity and love choose to follow your plan in your way with confidence and trust in you alone. Isaiah 55, 12 says, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. My prayer is that we may be found faithful and that you, God, will be magnified and glorified forever and ever. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our prophet, priest, and king, are all in all. Amen.
We got a video. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Laura Georgiakakis. I'm a member of La Jolla Community Church, and I'm also the teaching director of the Community Bible Study class that meets every Thursday. This year we'll be studying the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers in a study called From the Red Sea to the Jordan River. And it's the story of how God leads us out of captivity and through the wilderness and into His promised land. I hope the women of La Jolla Community Church will consider joining us. We'll meet Thursdays from 10 to 12, beginning September 15th. We have both Zoom groups and in-person groups and we have an evening group if you work during the day that meets from 6.30 to 7.30 on Zoom also. This is a great opportunity for us to draw closer to God, to get to know Him better, which is the purpose for which He gives us His Word, and also to draw closer to one another and to get to know each other better. We have a postcard that gives you all the information you need about how to register, when and where we meet, and who to contact for more information on this uh, study but don't hesitate to grab me also if you have any questions. We'd love you to join us. We meet through the school year from September to May, and it's a great chance for us to draw nearer to our God. Well, welcome once again to LJCC. It's so great to see you all today. Thanks for joining us in person and online. Uh, just a couple of quick announcements. On your way inside, you should have received a bulletin on which you'll find both a connect card and a prayer card. If you're joining us for the first time today, uh, we encourage you to fill out the connect card. Let us know you're here. We'll help you get connected to the church. And we also will, we would invite you to fill out the prayer card. Let us know how we can pray for you during the week. After the service, you can drop these cards off into the boxes in the foyer on your way out, along with any tithes and offerings, and that's what I have for you today. And Pastor Steve, come on up. Thank you. All right, well, we haven't done this in about two plus years. Would you just stand up, don't touch anybody, but just walk to the people closest to you and say hello and tell them your name and welcome them, okay? We're going to try to get back into a sense of normalcy here, so just let's do that in the next couple of minutes. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <clears throat> okay, okay, this is completely out of control. I shouldn't have done that. That was just... Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to do that. Doesn't that feel good? Uh, it, anything that approximates normal these days is really, really good. Uh, we're kicking off uh, a new year. Hard to believe we're already in the fall of 2022. Uh, wow. So what season are you in? Think about that for just a second. What season of life are you in? Uh, right now, every school-age kid worldwide is in a get-back-to-school season. So there are kids with whatever their best outfit is, you know, returning to school two weeks ago, this week. I mean, it's staggered, right? Some kids started uh, in mid-August. Those are really mean school districts. I just want to make a public record about that. that that's just horrible. But uh, it's a big season for kids. They're in the new grade, back to school. All right, if you're a sports aficionado, uh, you might have noticed, if you were paying attention, that there's been football in the last week. Uh, 
uh, Monday night football, Thursday night football, all day Saturday. I'm sure there's all kinds of games today. Uh, I had a, a great conversation with an athlete this week, and they were talking about their new cleats and their new football cleats. And this athlete was so into it and so enthusiastic and showing me his cleats and explaining to me how the cleats worked and demonstrating how amazing they were for running and jumping. And I'm thinking, oh, to be four, you know, because uh, he's, he's, he's in a flag football league and he's explaining to me what flag football is. And I'm not sure he knows what flag football is yet. Uh, and it doesn't matter because this is an occasion, a new season for cleats. Uh, right now, a bunch of people around the world, it's another season of war. Uh, oh my gosh, those people in Ukraine, even when they're making progress, it's not feeling like progress, but it's a new season. And their new season is one of heartbreak, bitterness, and celebration because they've been at it since January, February, and they're still here to be at it. Uh, it was a really hard week in Great Britain, and everybody who has any interest in Great, Great Britain this week, <clears throat> on one occasion, it was an occasion for a 73-year-old man who's never held a job to get his dream job. Uh, the heartbreak is that he was also then paying tribute to his mother uh, in the process. And I imagine if you said to him, would you rather wait four more years for this dream job? He would say, of course, yes. And uh, wow, the whole nation uh, is in a state of um, not uncertainty because they know the thing, thing's going to go on. But you know, think about this, a queen in, in office holding that role for 70 years. And what does that do for a nation? doesn't matter where, you, where you're from, ethnically, sociologically, politically. And this woman has been the, kind of the mother, grandmother for an entire nation. It's a new season of uncertainty in a sense of, well, how's the new guy going to work out? And do we really need somebody with a crown on their head? And uh, so the familiarity of a new season for people has been disrupted. And, and yet, it's a new season for a bunch of people who graduated uh, from Oxford on Saturday. A bunch of people graduated. It was a big day of celebration and excitement. But, you know, there's a little bit of a kind of a thing over their head that, yeah, but it's in the midst of some heartbreak. And yet, my gosh, 70 years, 96 years old, it's a season of rejoicing. Thank God we had this kind of woman in leadership with no right to pass legislation uh, to spend money on behalf of the state to tax or to distribute. But this woman had such an influence. And so it's a grateful season, uh, even though it's a season of grief and loss. For you, what season are you in? Are you beginning something? Are you ending something? Are you in the middle of something? Uh, what does it feel like to be in this season for you? Where are you in your own life cycle? Are you on the early end of it? Are you on the late end of it? Where are you on that vocational aspect of your life cycle? Are you preparing for a job, a career? Are you looking for that perfect job? I hope it doesn't take till you're 73 to get your perfect first job. Uh, where are you in terms of personal development? Are you saying, everybody's telling me I need to go to rehab, I'm not sure if I'm ready. Or are you just out of rehab and you're saying, I have never been more clear about what, what my purpose in life is. Uh, maybe you're in a struggle right now, trying to hold it together, and you're thinking, I don't know if it's going to come together or stay together. Uh, and that's what this beginning uh, of, the, of a new school year, because by, by the way, school year is internalized in each one of us. We all know that January 1 is the new year. 
But the new year functionally for every human being who's ever been to school is that it's now. This is the new year. And I bet you had a thought before you caught yourself, I need to go get some new school clothes. Wait, I've been out of school for 30 years. I, you know. What season are you in? Where are you in terms of uh, your mission in life? And by mission, I mean the whole sense of who you are. I mean that also theologically. What do you think God is teeing you up for in this season of your life? Uh, do you even ask that question? Do you say, I've already disqualified myself because I'm not worthy, I'm not qualified? Uh, we want to talk about that a little bit today. So what season are we in as a church? That's a complicated question. Uh, today uh, is, on one hand, uh, literally our 17th anniversary. 17 years ago at the Torrey Pines Hilton, that's why we're called La Jolla Community Church, we started in La Jolla, at the Torrey Pines Hilton, and as somebody remarked in those early uh, days of our church, this is an awesome church. Valet parking, an Olympic-sized pool, uh, an open bar, a restaurant, a magnificent golf course, an ocean view. Uh, what else uh, could you ask for in, in a church? It was an exciting, exciting time. And the buzz was out there about, wow, wouldn't it great, be great to see where this goes? And so over 17 years, we've, we've gone down on that journey through highs and lows. And our life cycle now is having been through some high highs and some low lows. Uh, and then COVID on top of that, we're in a rebooting mode. Now, here's the great thing. No matter what season of life you're in, we can all be in this season, in this place together. Now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. A lot packed in here. Prophetic writings, things written long ago by people like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, and others, but then also now declared and, and personified, embodied, and fulfilled in Jesus. The most recent prophet was John, called the Baptizer, this wild man from the desert, who was a priest, who was saying, Hey, he's coming, he's on his way. Are you ready? So Paul's saying, All this has come together. And then he gives a reason. He says, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. That's a key phrase. That all Gentiles, he's assuming, well, because we Jewish followers of Jesus already believe this. We've already come to the obedience that comes uh, uh, from faith. But now my particular calling, Paul is saying, is to go to those non-Jews, like most of everybody else out there. That's why he's writing to Romans. So I'm here to talk to people who are non-Jews, but are now engrafted, as it were, uh, into this root. You know that all French wine is made on California roots? Because at one point, a horrible thing called phylox was swept through Napa. It was devastating. We had to replant all of our rootstock. We had to get the rootstock from France. <laughs> Years later, France and Europe has this outrageous outbreak of phylloxera, crushes, ruins that massive industry. And where did they get rootstock from those people way over in the colonies, right? Those upstart winemakers. The Gentiles have been engrafted onto the rootstock of Israel, and Paul wants to be sure that they know they have full access to being the people of God. And then he finishes up this benediction, this, this, this prayer of praise to God, saying, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, Jesus Christ has made all this come to pass to glorify God and to bless people. Now that phrase, the obedience that comes from faith, is what Paul started his letter to the Romans with. 
In chapter 1, verse 5, he says, it's my mission to the Gentiles, he says, is about the obedience that comes from faith. This is the context of the season that we're in. It's a perpetual season. This is meant to define us and describe us perpetually. But in particular, it's important to come back to, to base, to come back to who we are, what do we do, what's, what's, what's our mission. It's about helping people connect with the obedience that comes from faith. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. So what does that phrase mean? And what does it look like in this season of our life? Well, first of all, uh, we don't like the word obedience in, this, in our culture. Obedience is great for dogs. It's not great for us. I was sort of offended driving in today, coming in on Executive Drive, and a little sign said, stop. Did not say, please stop, or stop, please. Or, hey, if you're up for it, why not stop? Or if there's anybody coming by and you guys can agree on it, one of you should stop, and the other, you know, none of that, none of that. No, no context, just an abrupt stop. And basically, it was a command to obey. And if I had said, I don't, I, I don't think that applies to me, and I'd roll through, or Janet would roll through. She's driving, actually. I was doing my nails. And so um, as we're driving through, the policeman would have pulled over and said, what, what did you understand about that sign? What sign? The stop sign. Oh, well, I didn't think it applied to me because I'm not about taking ob- obedience commands from other people. Oh, really? Well, here's a note just to remember the occasion. Good meeting you, too. So we don't like obedience. We don't like that a lot. Um, um, and yet, what is obedience? Both in the, in the word here, the Greek word, uh, and in the Roman word, literally, obedience is a Roman, is a Latin word. It means to listen. That's simple. To listen and to respond and to engage and to submit in the best possible way. One of the great, one of the great verses in the Bible is submit to one another out of your common reverence for Christ. Care enough about each other to commit, to take each other seriously, to show consideration and respect to one another. Listen to one another. Submit to one another out of your common reverence for Christ. And so obedience is hearing, listening, and responding to what God instructs us to do. And basically it's a simple message. Grow up and then go out and help other people grow up. And so Paul gives us the framework for how this works in another one of his letters, because this is his theme. This is Paul's ethos through all of his letters. It's this whole idea of this obedience that comes from faith. Don't miss it. It's the best yes you'll ever say to God. It's the best no you'll ever say to anything that holds you back from God. This is Paul's universal message. And in Ephesians, he unpacks this. And and I want to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Why? Because that is the ethos of this church. Perhaps you've heard pastors say, and it's well intended, they'll say, you know, uh, I want to be like Jesus the Good Shepherd who gave himself for the sheep. That's a beautiful pastoral expression. I'm the shepherd, you're the sheep. Doesn't that sound awesome? The problem, the way it's often invoked and practiced is this. I'm the shepherd, you're the sheep. I'll always be the shepherd and you will always be the sheep. It wasn't meant to be applied that way. It was meant to be a statement of, I'm committed. I'll lay down my life for you. And if you respond, fantastic, but this is my commitment. See, it's it's covenantal. It's what God does for us. Jesus comes into the world and says, I'm committing myself to you. 
He's the, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. But what does he do? He lifts us up and develops us. And so that's why our touchstone, our ethos, our base to return to and remember who we are is, is rooted in Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. There's no holding us back. I want you to be dependent sheep. You don't have to think because I'll tell you what to do. You'll never get lost because I'll always tell you where to go. But rather he's saying, I'm the good shepherd, and we're changing this metaphor. This metaphor is limited to our commitment to give everything to one another. It sets us up for the larger commitment that is to grow up together, to be what Christ has saved us to be, is saving us to be, has made possible for us to be, who we want to be once we start to understand what the obedience that comes from faith is about. Once we start listening and discerning God's voice through His Word, His Spirit, mature people who are rooted in Him, it all of a sudden comes uh, to mind that, hey, He's making us free. He's setting us free. And there's nothing more scary than being free. Because with freedom comes responsibility. But with freedom, and I don't mean to sound trivial, from freedom comes fun. That is a deep sense of joy that says, I love being alive. I love doing what I'm doing. So he gives us these three things. That Jesus, first of all, creates an equipping culture through these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Some of you are are serving those roles. You saw that wonderful uh, video from Laura Georgiakakis talking about, you know, she didn't say I'm a teacher, but she is. In some ways, she's also a pastor. I mean, she's caring for people. Many of you don't know it yet, but you are teachers. You're pastors. You might do something else vocationally, but that's who you are in Christ. You are evangelists. You have a natural, wonderful way of connecting with people and talking about faith. Uh, some of you are probably going to find that you have a prophetic voice. That is, you don't come along and say, I'm a prophet. You're going to say, hey, I see this, and it's, I don't think that's right. That's a prophetic statement. Martin Luther King was a prophet. Well, he was a pastor. He was a theologian. Right, but he was a prophetic voice that radically shook up a system that was holding people back, right? I have a dream. That's a prophetic statement. I'll spend all the time I need to in the Birmingham jail to let you see how unjust this law is. That's a prophetic move. Some of you are prophets and you don't know it yet. My hope is you become a kind and gentle prophet, not an arrogant prophet. Nothing worse than an arrogant prophet because you dismiss the, the deep message because of the immature presentation. But some of you have the gift of being apostles, Maybe not like Paul or Peter, but you have the uh, apostolic sense of, I'm going to go somewhere. I need to go there anyway. I think I'll, I'll go there and do something for Christ while I'm there. So you see, this becomes a revolutionary movement of God's Spirit. The Jesus, the Jesus who creates an equipped church is changing the world. So Jesus creates an equipping culture. That's what we want to be. That's what we've endeavored to be for 17 years. He goes on to say, Paul goes on to say, and, and here we see Jesus is creating an empowering culture, verses 13 to 15. And he's doing this until we all reach unity in the faith 
Now, let me, actually, let me back up for a second. That first part where he says to equip his people, that word equip means that every part is exactly calibrated to do the right thing in the right way. Uh, I had a, I almost, we almost sold our house and moved this week because we had a, an issue that was insurmountable. The garage door broke. And so um, you look at that, all those mechanisms, there's a motor, a long metal thing with a little drill-like thing in it and a big spring, and it's just overwhelming. And I'm like, okay, let's just now just sell and get out of this house. Uh, and I thought, okay, maybe the next thing would be to call a garage door guy. They want 200 bucks to come out and tell me that I have a garage door that needs to be repaired. Like 200 bucks for that? Then what do you do? And then we figure out what's wrong and then we charge you for that. I'm like, really? I've heard of YouTube and I bet there's something on YouTube about this. YouTube says, hey, is your garage door doing this, this, or this? Well, yes, it is. Then it might be this little piece of plastic. So for 20 bucks, somebody I don't know, never met, delivered it to my home by the time I finished ordering it. And I walked out of the garage and even me, guess me. I pulled my pants down a little bit, just so I looked a little bit more official. I, I got on the ladder, and in 10 minutes, I'm a hero. I was thinking, this is so good. I threw a block party and invited everybody over. This is what the word equip means. Paul saying, Jesus is equipping us. Every piece is just right. That's why you are just the right piece. All this other, look, other stuff that is, wow, it's overwhelming. No, you are the right piece that he wants to place in position to fulfill your purpose. And so that's why the second part about this empowering culture, so that we can all reach unity, and we all, we all reach unity. Again, that's every, all, that word all means every single part. The whole makes no sense, will not be the whole without that part. The part is essential for the whole, the whole makes sure that that part is in place. You see how powerful this is? It, I mean, it's obviously an organic thing, but you can take it and apply it in, in a lot of ways. You know, what, what's the engineering of this? What's the manufacturing of this? But the point is that we would reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. It's easy to become old. I'm living proof of this. It's hard to become mature, to be fully developed. That's what this word means. Fully developed. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Wow. Then we will no longer be babies tossed back and forth by the waves, helpless, powerless, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, now empowered intellectually, morally, spiritually, Socially, economically, we're starting to see how things come together in Christ. We start speaking the truth in love. And we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Does that resonate with you? And here's where it goes. Jesus creates an equipping culture and creates an empowering culture. And finally, we see in verse 16, Jesus creates an engaging culture. Engaging. Engaging means it's, it's connected to something. It also means it's, going or, going, it's, it's able to connect to something else. Engaging people have a way of connecting. Buildings that are engaged to a foundation are really good buildings to hang out in. So from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, 
grows and builds itself up in love. So as, as, as each part does its work. So there's a theme through there. These are essential parts, essential people, essential gifts that we can exercise in every season of life. A small child can be mature as a four-year-old. Now, if you said, well, let's compare him to a six-year-old, well, then he's immature. But as a four-year-old, he's right on. So the point is, well, it all happened my last day on earth. No. Queen Elizabeth was mature from the day she started. How do we know? She said, I'm 26, and I'm not going to do what 26-year-olds are going to do. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And I'm not, I'm not over-exaggerating when I say, in her mind, it was what God has called me to do. Not what my dad, the former king, made me do, or my mother, or the culture, or anybody else. This is what God has called me to do. And I'm going to be 26 in the context of that. I have met the most mature people who are 26. The Savior of the world was 33. I've met the most immature people sometimes because they have a lot more time to have got it right who are 70 plus. And it's embarrassing to meet immature old people. It's annoying to meet immature young people, but it's embarrassing to meet immature old people. And so engaging is being connected as Christ's body and engaging the world in his name. And so equipped, empowered, and engaged people see needs to meet and opportunities to collaborate. They're aware of what's going on. They go, whoa, that's a need. I'm not sure if it's a need I'm supposed to respond to, but that's a need. I wonder if I can help connect somebody to that need. That I'm, I don't see I can deal with that, but maybe I can. Hey, I know, let's pull some people together and see what we can do about that need. It's an attitude about life and approach to life. It's an equipped, empowered, and engaged life. It's a dynamic, versatile life. We'll come back to that in a moment. So everyone uh, can be more equipped, more empowered, and more engaged. That's what this passage said. I won't unpack all the Greek words in here, but one of them was saying more and more and more. Not in the sense of, hey, what have you done for me lately? But, hey, your capacity is increasing. You can do more. You have to let go of some things, but you can do more of these things. What holds us back from being people who live like we're equipped, empowered, and engaged? Lack of confidence, arrogance, beneath my dignity. Fear, what if, I, what if it doesn't work? I'll be embarrassed. What if I screw up, everybody's going to be upset. Sometimes it's laziness. You know, I'd rather just hang out. Uh, a great band, I call it great because uh, they were um, great in terms of British blues and rock. A group called Ten Years After. And Alvin Lee was a lead guitar player, a phenomenal band. And they wrote this song called I'd Love to Change the World. And one of the great lyrics in it says, I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what to do, so I'll leave it up to you. Clever. It's the anthem for many people in church. I'd love to change this church, but I don't know what to do. So I'll leave it up to you. I'd love to change this school, but I don't know what to do. I'll leave it up to you. I'd love to, you know how this goes. That's okay to say that to a lot of things, but at some point you have to say yes to something that I'm going to invest myself in to change. 
And here's why we say that. We don't understand the immensity of what it means to be in Christ, that we are sanctified by Christ to serve. This goes back to Genesis 1.26. I'm making you in my likeness so you can rule. Well, it doesn't sound like serve. You rule over all by serving under all. Jesus is Lord. He's a servant Lord. He's the servant Messiah. This is his calling. This is our calling. From Genesis 1, before sin entered the world, this was our calling. And now it's being redeemed in Christ. Sanctified just means set apart for your intended purpose. Now I want to come back to this idea of, of the queen or the new king. Uh, monarchs of the UK, which is the last functional monarchy in the world. I mean, there's other monarchies, but this is like the one that's most robust. Well, you will see at the coronation, if we had been at the coronation of Queen Elizabeth, uh, what we would have seen was that she commits herself to Christ to serve the nation. Then she's, of course, resplendent in all this wonderful regalia, but, but they haven't put this, this robe on her yet or a crown on her yet. What they do is they ask her to put her hands out, and they anoint her hands with oil. They put the sign of the cross on her hands. They put the sign of the cross on her forehead. In the most discreet way, they put a sign of the cross in oil on her chest. In the coming weeks, when uh, the coronation for um, Junior happens, uh, um, Charles, uh, uh, all with all due respect, I mean, he's going to put his hands out, and they're going to, he's going to put his head, like, he's been anointed. Not until he is anointed and sanctified do they put that robe on him and the crown on his head. This is a picture of you in Christ. You are a ruler in Christ because you've been anointed and sanctified by Christ. You're clothed in his righteousness and you have his crown on you, the sign of his authority. It's, a, it's an authority that doesn't resonate and, re, and, and reside in you because it came out of you. It's, a, it's an authority that's been entrusted to you. And so Paul describes the sanctifying work of God's Spirit developing us to be and do more, a fullness of life, of becoming more like Jesus, making the effort to grow in Christ, having more impact for Christ, but it's Christ in us that makes it possible. That's why when the body is really working efficiently together, it feels fairly effortless. You're working and you're contributing, but all of a sudden more stuff is happening than you could have ever done on your own. And your part was challenging, but all of a sudden it was so connected to every other part in just the right way that you think, how did we do this? How did that happen? And so we're rebooting to get that alignment back and to move in that direction together. And so Christ's the head of the body, we are the body, and when the body works together, it's beautiful and effective. And it's okay to be four years old wearing your new cleats and not quite understanding how to play flag football. Because that's how champions are made. The, 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 the guys that are putting on their cleats this season for the first time are going, gee, I remember when I was five and I did this. I remember being eight and doing this. I remember being 12 and doing this, 16 and doing this, and the feeling has never changed. I'm so excited. I'm not sure if I have what it takes, but I'm so excited. And so the unity of Christ's body is each one of us submitting to him, the head, and then to one another. 
Going back to that word that says the parts have to be the right part and connected in just the right way. We submit to one another out of our common reverence for Christ. So we're submitting to Him, each one of us, and because we're all submitted to Him, we say, okay, what does it look like to submit to each other? It's dynamic. This is another one of those fancy Greek words. Dunamis. The explosive power of the gospel from which we get dynamite. A dynamic. Dynamic and you can do all the things you need to do to move down the field. It's strength, it's power, it's strength, flexibility, and endurance at work, right? And in Christ you are sanctified, anointed, given power and authority. How are you practicing it and applying it right now is the question in this season of your life. You've heard of McKinsey Consulting, I'm sure you have. It's arguably uh, the best consulting group in the world. They have the smartest people. I mean, no kidding. You, if you see the, every McKinsey consultant I've ever known, you ask them what the resume is, it sounds like they made it up. They went to the best school. They did this. They did that. I mean, men or women, you think, it's impossible for one person to have done that. Every one of them is like Forrest Gump. They did impossible things. And you think, how did that work? But then you start talking to them, and you realize they work in a company that's completely autonomous. There's no boss in McKinsey. They hire, they, they raise up out of their own group a person to be the chairperson for three years, maybe two terms in a row. And that person is in charge of a bunch of people who are autonomous. And what they say is, you can be so talented, that's impressive, everybody in this room is talented, but that's not going to cut it here. What we're looking for is, are people who can work on a team. I don't care how talented you are, if you're not, if you're not a team player, you're not going to be at McKinsey. The guy who's now the head of McKinsey grew up in Lodi, California. Does that shock you? Oh Lord, stuck in Lodi again. This guy went to Stanford playing water polo. He, went to, he was a Rhodes Scholar. He's the head of McKinsey. How did he get there? People in Lodi who didn't go to Stanford and aren't Rhodes Scholars. They were people who simply said, I wonder how we can help this boy grow up and be everything he can be. His mom and dad probably stand back, I don't know where he came from. He's our kid, but who knew he could do all this? You see the point of this? He was inculcated in a culture of equipping and empowering and engaging from a team perspective. And all of a sudden now it's natural for him to be around all these people saying, hey, what does it look like for us to be a team? They attract the talented people, but they only hire people who listen and function as a team. This is what the body of Christ is about. How about the Rams QB, Matthew Stafford? Detroit bought his talent. Number one draft pick. He set records that Tom Brady was, was making. He did everything as good as any quarterback ever, and nobody ever heard of him because nobody ever, had ever expected the Lions to do anything. They bought his talent, but they weren't a team. They were good people, but they couldn't get it together as a team. He comes to the Rams. They already know he has talent, but what do the Rams do? They say, welcome to the team. And nothing fires up Matthew Stafford uh, more than seeing uh, Cooper Cup catch a ball. He loves being part of a team. Um, teammates, why is that such a big deal? Teammates commit to loving and serving one another. If you've ever read the, the book, the organizational book by Patrick Lencioni, The Perfect Teammate, what is the perfect teammate? This is the people we look for. Over the years, we've tried to hire the very best people to call them to serve. We've hired everybody who's come on, on staff in this church, had talent. Not all of them were willing to be part of a team. Why? Because a teammate is this. They are hungry, they're humble, and they're people smart. They're hungry. I want to make something happen. They're, they're humble. Uh, wow, you know, who am I going to ask for help? Who's going to be my team? 
And they're people smart. They know how to work with other people. Give me a team of average people any day. The B students will beat the A students every day of the week, all year long, if they're a team. I'll give you another sports analogy, uh, an older one. Pistol Pitt Maravich. Pete Maravich. Maybe if you're an older person, you, he died in 1980 at the age of 40. He retired from the NBA at age 34. Uh, he set scoring records uh, that still stand in the NBA. They figured out if they, had, if they applied the three-point rule to Pete Maravich, his average game score is 59 points. He was also amazing at doing tricks, things behind his back and out, out dribbling everybody. The Globe, Harlem Globetrotters offered him $1 million to be on the Harlem Globetrotters. He would have screwed up the whole look of the team. He'd be the only white guy in that beautiful team. He said, no, nah, I want to play in the NBA. As he was setting scoring records, he also had the most assists in the NBA. I mean, think about it. The guy was a team machine. If you ask anybody who's old enough to have followed basketball history and say, tell me about Pistol Pete Maravich, they'll say, oh, he was a phenomenal passer. You go, no, no, the guy who scored all the points. Uh, uh, actually, I know him as a pastor. Check out the records. He's a scoring guy, but he's a team guy. He was known for practicing, and pa- for practicing passing 10 hours a day. He had a big bullseye on the wall, and he, if he was practicing it behind the back, he just, the bullseye, he would just go like this. He'd pass, he'd pass, he'd pass. All the tricks that are common now, thank Pistol Pete. He didn't call himself that. Some sports writer said, this dude is so hot, he's like a pistol. Not a good name nowadays. So his presence unified the team when it was only possible because of the team. Is that us? Without you, the team can't really get it together. So likewise, in equipping, empowering, engaging church builds up and blesses people to be what? Equipped, empowered, and engaged. And they can be very average people doing very modest things. It doesn't matter. The right part in the right place, the right people working together. It's a beautiful thing. Everybody loves being part of a team. That's why the early church was so dynamic and effective. They were unified in Christ's love. They built teams. They overcame barriers. They refreshed tired tired traditions. Hey, maybe Sabbath could be a bit different than what we've expected it to be, right? They they innovated in in a hostile cultural environment. This fall, our obedience to God, the obedience that comes from faith for us in one simple way is going to be applied by us doing a couple things. We're going to do rooted and, and alpha. Starting next week, we're going to be doing a 10-week alpha course. Uh, we did this a couple years ago. We had about 120 people participate in it. And we're going to do a 10-week rooted course. Uh, basically, we're going to worship together. Uh, we're going to feed you. And we're going to teach your kids. And we're going to do rooted or alpha. Worship, eat. Kids have programs both hours if they want. And then uh, some people are going to do alpha. We've invited uh, the whole community to come to Alpha. There might be two people, it might be 20 people, I don't know. Maybe there's 200 people. But we'll do Alpha. And we want everybody to sign up to do Rooted who isn't doing Alpha. Uh, if you're in CBS or something that requires work, homework, do Alpha. Alpha, it's simple. You just show up. If you're not in something like CBS where you're doing homework, do Rooted. There's about five hours of homework per week. You can only miss two 
So you can't sign up if you can't be here for eight out of ten meetings. Just go to Alpha then. That's okay. So either Alpha or Rooted. Uh, basically, the, we'll tell you more about what these are, but basically uh, this is going to be an, an obedience that comes from faith. As we sit, watch those Alpha videos and talk about what we saw, it's going to reinvigorate and turbocharge your faith. As you do the work in Rooted, it's a little bit deeper experience, a discipleship experience. It's going to be profound and impactful. Some of you have done it. It's been probably five or six years since you've done it. Do it again. And we're going to, we're going to do both these things this fall. And then what we want to do is to get a, enough people who have done those things that we can continue to offer it while we go on to do other things. So in January, and, and, you know, we can then offer these things throughout the year, and the people who have already done it go on to other things. But we want a core group of people who are doing this. So where is God taking you in this season of your life? Let me wrap up with this. What does he want to teach you, remind you of, refresh you about? Is this a recovery season or a discovery season for you? Is this for you a refresh and reset for readiness season? Nobody's excluded. Nobody's aged out or grown out of the need to be a part of something here. This is how we build community, by, by being together in conversations that matter, doing things that matter. We're going to do a prayer, a, a prayer event and a work event this fall. Do we want everybody to participate? And we'll give you more information on that. About 90 years ago, uh, 1931, a fellow named C.S. Lewis that most of you have heard of, if, you're, if you've read his books as a kid or as an adult, Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, amazing stuff. C.S. Lewis got into the sidecar of his brother Warney's motorcycle. I don't know if you've ever been in a sidecar or seen one. Uh, if you ever see a guy in a bright red, uh, big giant Triumph motorcycle with a sidecar rolling around town, it's Bob Goff. Bob Goff has a motorcycle with a sidecar, and he drives it relentlessly and ruthlessly. So C.S. Lewis jumps in next to his brother Warney, and they're going to go to the zoo. <laughs> And, and two, two years prior to this moment, in 1931, in September, this time of year, two years previously, C.S. Lewis, through his conversations with J.R.R. Tolkien, had come to say, okay, there's a God, there's probably a God. And he said, okay, God, if you are a God, if there's a deity called God, um, I, I, I'm open. That was two years. The week prior to jumping into the, the sidecar, he had another conversation all nighter with Tolkien and a guy named... Um, uh, Hugh uh, uh, Dyson talking about not just is there a God but is Jesus God that is intense conversation so this is on his mind as he gets in the sidecar it's a foggy day where they started out by the time they get to the zoo which is like in Oxford it's you know it's like a 15 minute motorcycle ride it's bright sunny so something happens in the environment that replicates what's going on in him he, in his own words he says when we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. But when we reached the zoo, I did. I'd not exactly spent the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. Emotional is probably the last word we can apply to some of the most important events. It was more like when a man, after a long sleep, still lying motionless on the bed, becomes aware that he is now awake. And after that, <laughs> after he got home from the zoo, you could say all hell broke loose for Oxford. He started writing books. Uh, heaven opened up is really the way I'd describe it. Books that changed our world and changed our lives. And he and Tolkien were like, okay, 
Let's write some books that would capture people's imaginations. Tolkien, a very committed Catholic Christian. Now, now Lewis, a very committed uh, Episcopalian uh, Anglican Christian. Cohorts uh, for, the, for the gospel of Christ. For them it was a whole new season of life. All right, what do you think God wants us to do? It cost C.S. Lewis a lot. He was denied full professorship at Oxford because he said, this is, you're, you're an expert on languages and, and, and history and literature, and you're writing this Christian trivial stuff? You're going to pay for it. Everybody knows him as his big celebrated professor. That was the last year of his life. He was a tutor. He was a, a guy that people would come to, and he tutored them at Oxford his whole career. Finally, Cambridge, after he's this famous guy, said, we'll give you a full professorship. We'll give you everything you'd ever wanted, and we'll pay you a lot of money. And so he left Oxford and finally got all the recognition as the scholar he was. He paid the price that entire time because he's, in his words, you know, I'm, this is, I was surprised by joy. It was the best season I could ever imagine. This is what God wants for you. He wants it for me and you and everybody. Brothers and sisters, let's be wide awake in obedient faith this season. God is taking us somewhere really, really good. Let's jump in with him and see what the journey is all about, right? Sign up for Alpha or Rooted before you leave today. Why today? Because today is the first day in a new season. All of our different seasons coming together in this one season together. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for the way you call us together, unlikely people in, in an unlikely place, doing unlikely things that reflect you, that reveal the, the beauty, the magnificence of your kingdom on earth, the power of your Holy Spirit working through open and available people. The power of your word, opening up hearts and minds to do amazing things. We thank you, Lord, that you want us to be hungry and humble and increasingly people smart. You are equipping us and you are empowering us and you are showing us what it means to be engaged people together and then in your name. So we thank you and praise you in the high of the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. As we wrap up worship with some, some music, let your prayer, even as you're singing, let your prayer be, Lord, okay, what do you want to do in this season of my life? Let's do that. That's our offering, by the way. You can give money any other way you want, but our offering is giving you to him as we wrap up worship together.
Uh, what's God saying to you right now? Maybe your stomach is saying, I'm hungry, but what's God saying to you uh, that you need to respond to him about? If we can pray for you about that, about anything, go right out around the corner. There's a lovely little garden, a prayer garden. Uh, there'll be people who will be praying for, with you or for you for anything you want. Or if you don't know what you need prayer for, just say, please pray for me. That's okay. Uh, come have something to eat. We have a really fantastic brunch, uh, our gift to you, and then uh, some really fun things we're going to do. Be sure to say hello to some people. Don't be shy about saying, okay, um, I, I should know your name maybe, but I don't. I'm Biff. What's your name? And have a good time. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be, great, be gracious to you. May the Lord give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him in this season of your life, now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Have a really wonderful rest of your day.